It's him that's holy, and we get to sing of his praises. And I appreciate that perspective as we dive in to what's, uh, what's basically the sermon portion of Hosea. Uh, from this point forward, we've got to think a little differently of how we read Hosea. So far, we've spent a few weeks and only gotten up to chapter 3. We're going to pick up in chapter 3 and move into chapter 4. I know we're making just very fast progress. But from here on out, the rest of the book can't be seen in such a linear line. As here's a message, here's how it's transpiring, because what Hosea was at his heart was a prophet that would travel around to different areas and give the same message over and over again. See, I'm in the church, we're supposed to use the word blessed, because when I speak, 90% of the time I speak to the same group of people, you're stuck with me. So my messages hopefully build on each other. In other words, I don't have to try to say the same thing to different people and make sure that you understand it in different ways because you're all here with me. But for Hosea, he would travel specifically around the northern tribes of Israel. That's why sometimes you'll see in the book of Hosea, if you're reading on your own, uh, Israel is referred to as Ephraim. Uh, because that was the largest and most centrally located of the 10 tribes that made up the people of Israel of the northern kingdom. There's your history lesson and geography lesson all boiled into one so that you've got the context. But when when Hosea begins to preach, as we'll see specifically in chapter 4, you're going to think, Mike, it sounds so repetitive. Why does he say the same thing over and over and over again. And as you read through all the way till the end, he says it over and over again, just in slightly different ways. Why? Because he was saying it to a lot of different people. And in each case, the Lord had a slightly different word of how that might come across and what was coming specifically for the people of Israel. So as we consider this, and as you think, Mike, you've said all this before, yes, maybe I have. But each week, you'll uncover a little more of the greatness and glorious nature of God, as well as his redemptive, his great ability and love that would bring us back to himself, in spite of our tendency, our likelihood to run away from him when it gets difficult. Last week, uh, many of you think I was in vacation in Thailand because the pictures I posted were all of things like zip lining across a 900-meter zip line. You should try it. It's amazing. And doing different things like seeing a night safari and watching an ostrich go after my kid's head uh, and things like that are really fun. But that wasn't why my wife and I went to Thailand. We went to Thailand, as we do each year, to care for a group of people that serve the lost, the least, and the hardest to reach throughout Central Asia and into the Middle East and Northern Africa. And while we were there, we were struck this year, as many of the leadership in the group that we serve and that you support, uh, it's going through a name change, and I'll tell you that in the weeks to come. But as we were with people from the group known as ELIC, one thing was obvious, that many people were struggling. Not so much that they didn't love Jesus anymore, not so much that they weren't good and effective teachers or what they were doing, but over time, many of these areas have become more difficult to live in. 
And so as they've been there, we've seen a, a trend develop and the number of willing workers to stay on the field has decreased. They've gone home where it's easier. And that's difficult because we go in and we try to encourage and we try to say press on because there are 1.4 billion people just to our north, many of whom have never heard of the name of Jesus Christ. Or you look to our south and west and you look at a whole region that was the original hotbed of Christianity that now has run so far away from him that they persecute anyone that would call in the very name of Jesus. And we need people that are steadfast in their love for the Lord and steadfast in their mission to proclaim the name of Jesus to those who need him most. Yet the Bible teaches us that that will be difficult. And when it gets difficult, our first nature might be to run away. Or when relationships get, be, get difficult, we might withdraw from them. And I thought, I wonder about us as a church family. And I'll tell you more about our, our trip and, and the different stories we heard of God at work because he is miraculously at work in amazing ways. But I wanted to start with the question of, what do we do when we fail? How often do we handle that very concept, failure? We're not great at it. Specifically in Asia, it's something we don't even like to talk about. It's something we, we don't want to handle particularly well. But yet it happens. I guarantee everyone in this room has failed at something. So let me, let me start with, with an illustration that I think you can all probably relate to if you've grown up uh, and been at all attuned to media in the last 25 years. Have any of you ever seen a single episode of VeggieTales? You, okay, most of you have. God is bigger than the boogeyman. Oh, where is my hairbrush? You know, these are parts of our very DNA if you grow up or if you have kids and you love to show these things to them. Madame Blueberry, she's my favorite. I like her. And I'll stop there. But see, here's the thing about Madame Blueberry. Big idea productions founded and created by a man named Phil Vischer went bankrupt. How many of you knew that? How many of you knew that on their biggest moment of celebration, when they released their first feature film, less than six months later, Phil Vischer had to personally lay off, that's a nice way of saying fire, or say you're out of a job, over 200 people. Because their vision was bigger than where God was leading. And their eyes got bigger with what they wanted over what God was directing. And these are Phil's words. These aren't mine. Uh, I've heard him preach his testimony. But now, as you listen to Phil Vischer teach and speak, he's a man that failed on the biggest stage, quite possibly one of the most famous Christian media creators of all time, had failed. And yet God continues to use him. If you have put a kid in our children's ministry in the past six years, they have been introduced to a series called What's in the Bible that teaches kids, get this, what's in the Bible? You know who created that? Phil Vischer. 
I say all that to frame where we're going to go for the next few weeks. We fail. We will continue to fail. I'm not advocating sin. I'm not advocating running in front of or behind God and when we fall saying, God, fix me. But I'm saying the reality is there are times when we struggle and when we fall and when we fail. The culture that we find ourselves in says, don't admit it, don't acknowledge it, and if you can't deal with it, run away. What that has propagated is some terrible, terrible beliefs in our young people today. Less than a month ago, two students in the same weekend jumped out of their windows of their buildings to kill themselves because they couldn't face the reality of the difficulty of the exams here in Hong Kong. They were not taught how to struggle and wrestle with who they were created to be. God's masterpiece. We will fail, but our identity is immovable because God doesn't change. And it's his love that draws us back, not our success. With that, I want you to open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to cover chapter 4 as well, but I'm just going to read you five verses to get us warmed up this morning, if that's okay. Because I want us to see from a couple of different perspectives that failure... I said Hebrews, I meant Hosea. You know, they're the same, only completely different. (laughs) One's in the Old Testament, hard to find. One's one of the longer books in the New Testament, There's an hour time difference from Thailand, so let's call it jet lag (laughs) or whatever. Lord, you are so good. Your redemptive love lasts forever. Please don't let us lose sight of that. And as we read your word and as it applies to our life, as it always does, please make my words few and your words penetrating to the heart. Amen. So the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. It was a false god. We don't need to get into whether raisins are bad or anything like that. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. And then the Lord goes on to charge the people of Israel with some of their failures, with some of the ways they had broken their covenant. We need to remember that the people of Israel, God's chosen people, were created and were chosen and were set apart to shine God's light to the whole world, to show them there was a different way to live. And that this had been brought about by a series of covenants, of promises God had made with his people. If you do this, I will bless you. I will give you long life. You will live in fruitful land and you will be well cared for. This happened through the covenant with Abraham. Before that, it happened with the covenant with Noah. 
It happened with the covenant with David and even on towards Solomon. And by the time we got to Solomon, the rails started to come off. And the people began to lose sight of God and they would run ahead of him or run to the side of him. And then when things got difficult, they would go back. Much like if you remember what happened in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, as the people going toward the promised land, oh, I'm so tired of manna, 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 manna even as God is miraculously providing for them in the most unexpected ways. They wake up and there is manna every morning. All I can think of is if I had to eat potatoes every day, I would feel the same way. But God was providing. The people just began to be unsatisfied. And so I want us to look today at the two sides of the spectrum of failure and the relentless love of God. Relentless is an interesting word. Uh, And I chose it specifically because it carries with it great weight. Some of you have chased things relentlessly. Whether it's that promotion at work, you've just gone at it. You have worked so hard to make it to such and such a level. And when you finally get there, you take a deep breath and think, "Ah, I've made it. Or maybe there was that special someone in your life. It is Valentine's Day on Tuesday. And you pursued someone for years, trying to let them see that you were worthy of their love. And sometimes that worked out, other times not so much. But you just continued your pursuit. The thing is, often we are relentless for a time. If you've uh, watched uh, athletes, Only the very best are the ones we get to see, right? Like uh, if you're into professional basketball, we hear lots about LeBron James or Steph Curry. Or if you happen to see tennis a couple weeks ago, Roger Federer, arguably the greatest tennis player of all time, except maybe for the woman that's his counterpart, Serena Williams, two of the greatest ever. And we see them all the time. What we don't see is the millions of people that fail, that don't make it that high. Their relentless pursuit at some point is given up, isn't it? They realize, I can't, I won't, I shouldn't, whatever, and they give up. As we're going to see throughout the rest of the book of Hosea, God continues to pursue his people even if they don't deserve it, which we know they don't. We know we struggle with that. If you look in your sermon notes today, uh, we're going to fill in just a few blanks, and I'm going to move quickly. But I want to start with the theme of the book of Hosea, and it's one Hebrew word, hesed. I'm not going to pronounce it all Hebrew-y for you. I'm just going to say that hesed, uh, as defined by Michael Card, who's written an entire book just on this one word, he defines it like this. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. Think about that for a second. Based on our position in life as sinners, for I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If we accept that to be true, if we accept that on our own, we will choose at some point to go astray, that we are not perfect, and that God's perfection is the standard 
then what can we expect from God but judgment? That's what we deserve. And yet hesed, this steadfast love, as the NIV will often call it, this faithful love, it can be termed more. It's much bigger than that. It's this love that gives us everything. It's this faithful love that says God continues to pursue people, people that have no right to expect anything from him. So much so that in John 1, we're told that God became man and walked among us. And that's in the person of Jesus Christ. So what do we do with this? Well, God's relentless love for his people looks something like this. God looks at Hosea and he says, okay, Hosea, if the first round wasn't difficult enough, let's go for round two, shall we? Because he's already told her to marry, uh, the ESV calls it a woman of whoredom, the NIV uses prostitute. We don't actually know where in the sexual immorality standard she was, but we know she was continually cheating on whomever she was connected to. That we know, and her name was Gomer. And so Gomer has had three children. At least one of them was Hosea's. That one was named Jezreel. Uh, or something along those lines. The other two were not my people and not loved. Those were their names. Great, huh? And then as it goes on, um, obviously, Hosea knows this is coming. God told him ahead of time, but Gomer stepped out on him. She chose to go after other men. She chose to go her own way, and she chose to do her own thing. And we get the opinion, and most commentators believe that Hosea was kind of stuck with the kids. And so not only did he have a very real living parable to live out, a metaphor of God's love, of him being the representation of God's relentless pursuit of people that don't want him, but he was raising children born in difficult circumstances. And so we get to chapter 3, and Hosea is told, Go buy her back. Don't just get her back. Go spend an inordinate amount of money and buy her back. Because she's gone off. She's with other people. And now I want you, Hosea, to spend your money, your hard-earned money that you should be able to use for someone that's going to treat you well. And I want you to buy her back. What a picture we have of the love of God. Because, you know, our creator made us fearfully and wonderfully. You wonder what I mean? Read Psalm 139. He knew us from our inmost being. He was the one that gave us life and breath and the reason we have our being, our soul, our pneuma, our spirit. And in all this, we as humans kind of tend to go our own way. And God in his infinite chesed love would buy us back. He chased us all the way back down to earth with his son who was sinless, who was perfect, is perfect, and always will be perfect. And Jesus stands there in his entire life is inviting people back, people that would persecute, would hurt, would wound and misunderstand him. And he kept saying, come on home. So much so that he would go to the cross. He would bear the burden, the price. 
he would pay, he would buy our freedom and rise again victoriously. And then he would do something miraculous in the last minutes. He would rise victoriously over death so that anyone who believed in the name of Jesus might be saved. And that truth revolutionized the world. No more were we bound by the law. We were bound by the blood of Jesus. We were bound by a righteousness that was given on our behalf that allowed us to be washed clean and stay that way, that allowed us to have a fresh start no matter how many times we have fallen down. That's what the people of Israel were seeing lived out in Hosea's relationship with Gomer. A very messianic picture of what God would do for his people. Gomer continues to cheat. Gomer continues to do this. Hosea brings her back home, says, nobody's having a relationship with you, not even me but I'm still going to keep you in my home and I'm still going to look after and take care of you. God continues to pursue his people. He buys her back. And you know, the interesting thing here that we we lose sight of when we read through Hosea, when we read through much of the Bible, is the amount of shame that both Hosea and Gomer would have borne in this situation. You understand the word shame? Hosea would have been seen as a fool at best. Why would you marry a woman that you know or buy back a woman that you know is going to be unfaithful? That's just stupid. Why would you do that? And for Gomer, she would have to look every day knowing that she had been bought back, that she had failed her husband, but that he had brought her back and paid for it. And there's a shame there. And those hang over, yet God's radical and completely different love covers over all of it. For Hosea, his identity is in obeying God. His identity is in the glory of God, not the approval of man. For Gomer, she looks into the eyes of her husband and sees a pursuing God that brings her back even though she had been unfaithful. And that was to show the people of Israel they can come back. And that's to show us we can come back. I don't know about you, but there's parts of my life that I'm ashamed of. There's things in my past that I wish had gone differently. There's things in my life of decisions I'd made that I knew better and I went the wrong way anyway. I'll tell you the funny one because you like to laugh at this because I've used it before, but less than three weeks after I got my driving license... And I had a girl in the car, so therefore I needed to show her how fast the car could go. All I showed her was how bright police lights are behind you. I was ashamed in that moment. I was embarrassed that I got caught. I was ashamed that I got caught by a policeman that knew my dad. Yeah, that was terrible. And then I had to deal with the fact that all my friends drove by me because we were all going to the same place and they saw that I'd gotten caught. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. And when I went in and I woke my dad up, never a good start. And I told him, he looked at me and he said, well, son, hope you learned your lesson. I love you, man. Now let me go back to sleep. 
And we dealt more with it in the morning when the reality kind of came around. But see, we carry, that's, that's a silly one. No one was hurt and I was stupid. But God knows us so much that he knows our hearts and he knows what we'll do. Look at just a little bit. The Lord has this charge to bring against those of you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness. There is no love, no acknowledgement. That's all included in the very idea. There is no hesed among you. I have been faithful to you, people of Israel, but you have not been faithful to me. You have not been steadfast and immovable in your love for me. You've seen other things like the sacred raisin cakes, which was representative of the Baals, they were, the false gods they were worshiping. You've chased that way. Well, Mike, St. Honoris has raisin cakes. Does that mean I can't have them? No, that's not what he means. The idols of the day had become greater than God in the eyes of people of Israel. Go eat your raisin cakes. They're fine. Don't, don't lose sight of what's important in this passage. The people had made all the idols of the day, including sexuality, including money and success, and they had exalted those over the ways of God. Doesn't sound so different from today, does it? That's why I think Hosea is so important for us. There is no faithfulness. None of that hesed love that I've given you. There is only cursing. Have you noticed how much cursing there is in the world today? We curse each other. We swear just for fun. It's everywhere. There's lying. There's murder. There's stealing. There's adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. And the inference in this part right here is that, and then they're surprised that the world has problems. They're surprised that things go wrong when we treat each other these ways. Not even that we treat God these ways, when we treat each other these ways. And God knows these things. And see, God, as he, as he moves forward his pronouncement of what's going on to the people, he says, but this judgment isn't just for you, people of Israel. This is specifically for your priests. And all God's people said, whew, I'm off the hook, right? <laughs> Because the priests had failed to teach the very words of God. The priests had failed to live out the truth of God's word. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength. And these words shall be upon your heart. Write them on your doorposts. Talk about them when you wake up and when you lay down. Talk about them at mealtime. Put them on your foreheads. Carry them with you all the time. What did all of that mean? When should the word of the Lord be with us? Always, right? And the priests, I'm going to use the nice word and said they'd forgotten to do that. They'd forgotten to speak life into the life of the people of Israel. And so God was pronouncing upon them, you're going to be dealt with. And it's going to be tough. Well, Mike, why is it so tough for the priesthood? Because their job, remember, we didn't all pick out I left my phone at home today, so I can't pull it out of my pocket. And by the way, that feels really weird. But they couldn't pull it out and just pull whatever passage of the Torah they had, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. That's what the people would have known back then. And the priests were the ones supposed to teach and explain that to them. And they were missing this. And the, the priests were doing other things. They were engaged in temple prostitution. 
They were engaged in helping people worship false gods and collecting more money themselves. They were engaged in eating the temple worship sacrifices. Whoops, that's a big no-no. These were the things they were doing, and they were leading the people the wrong way. It's kind of like a teacher that I had in high school, uh, or what we call here secondary school. Uh, I was supposed to learn physics. I kind of like physics. It's the only math-based idea that made sense to me because often you could visualize it because you could see how it worked in the real world uh, in all sorts of ways. So it made more sense to me. If I use this formula, this works. And, and it was great. There was just one problem. I had it first period. Everybody wanted physics first period because the teacher never showed up, <laughs> at least until halfway through. The problem was the teacher still gave the same tests. So if you weren't gifted in the area of physics, you were struggling. And I struggled. Thankfully, I had some friends that helped me out. I didn't cheat. They actually tutored me. But it was so hard to learn when the teacher wasn't there. Just like you. If your boss tells you to show up for work at, let's say, what, 9.30 is the going work time here. And we don't bother to show up till 10.15 and we wonder at the end of the day, why can't we get our work done? Well, you know, maybe we should show up when we're supposed to and be at the meetings. Well, for me, how could I learn physics if there was no one to teach me? For the priests, Paul said it really well in Romans. How will they hear unless they are taught? How will people hear the very word of God unless someone takes it to them and teaches them? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And when you tuned out because I told you that these words in Hosea were for the priests, look at the second part of the verse that I printed out for you in your sermon notes. And let's dive in there. But you, O people that call yourselves Christians are a chosen people. Yes, we're a chosen people. That's great news, isn't it? Yeah. A royal... Anybody reading with me? Anybody reading what comes next? Priesthood. So if we jump back into Hosea and that failure of the royal priesthood of the days of Hosea, the Levitical tribes of Israel were failing because they were not teaching the word of God. And we look ahead 2000, well, 2,700 years from Hosea, 2,000 years from 1 Peter, and we realize that that's our job. We're to be the ones proclaiming the Hesed love of God to all people. That those criticisms that God, those accusations that God brought against the priests of Israel could very well be brought against us today. Sorry to be a downer, but it's kind of true. If we were light in a way that invited people in to the steadfast love of God that never fails, I'm confident that there would be much more hope in the world. I'm also very aware that it will be hard, that people will not understand. I don't know if you've heard about um, a movie that's up for some uh, Academy Awards soon. It's called Hacksaw Ridge. You ever heard of it? Uh, the, the premise of the movie is about a Mormon uh, that uh, enlists uh, in the military, in the army, to fight in World War II. 
There's just one problem. Mormons are pacifists. They will not carry, touch, or anywhere be near guns. They don't believe in that. And he felt he had an obligation to do. He was prepared to go to medical school, but he couldn't do it. And so he fought, fought all the way through the court system to be permitted to be an army medic that did not carry a weapon. And he risked his life time and again with no way to defend himself. And his hardest battles were fought when his brothers and sisters in the military would beat him up and torment and torture him because they didn't understand why his beliefs were different, why he wouldn't carry a gun. Interestingly enough, he's one of the greatest heroes of World War II. In one night, he saved 75 men, pulling them up over a cliff in mortal danger, never once touching a gun. People didn't understand, but they look back and they've immortalized him because now they see there was great value in someone seeking to save a life rather than take it. The world we find ourselves in right now, as I heard story after story from places like Cambodia, from places like uh, Iraq and Tunisia and Turkey and Turkmenistan, and the list goes on and on as I met with different people from around missions agencies all over the world, The world is pushing the good news of Jesus Christ and the way of following him to the sidelines. A way of love is less and less popular because it's been replaced by the way of self. This is not new. It's just showing itself in new ways. And so what I'm proposing today is that we, the royal priesthood, put our pants on and go fight the good fight. But when we fail, we remember that there is a God that loves us because God disciplines those that... Well, let me, go, let me go to this first. You see, we are a royal priesthood, but we can be short-sighted. And we'll come back to the discipline because that follows this. What do I mean by short-sighted? If you look just even in a few verses of Hosea chapter 4, Listen to some of the words that are used. They're unfaithful. Verse 1. Hear the words of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness. There is no love. You could add unloving there. They're also unfocused. No acknowledgement of God. They've lost sight of God. They haven't been able to focus on who's important. Oswald Chambers, my for his highest, just uh, Friday, I believe, asked the question of identity to all those that would believe in Jesus. Do we know whose we are? Or do we focus more on what we do? The people of Israel had lost sight of whose they were. They are gods. They were unfocused. You go down to verse 10 and we learn that they were stubborn or unsatisfied. It's never enough. If you're finally able to buy a flat, then you want to buy a bigger one. If you're finally able to get that job that you'd always longed for, you sit at that desk for a day and then you realize you wish you had a bigger job or you wish you had more money or you wish you had this or that or you understand how it works? We're never satisfied on our own. And that's what the people of Israel are. Verse 16, ooh, nobody here could relate to this one. They were stubborn. They fought What stubborn means is really that we will only go the way we want to go when we want to go. I live in a part of Hong Kong called Sai Kung. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, it's a pretty cool place. Really, only like three people in the youth group have been to my house. Most, yeah. 
Well, the rest of you should come out. It's the back garden of Hong Kong. It's beautiful. But we have an interesting phenomenon in, ha- in Sai Kung. They're called feral cows. And sometimes when you're on the one road that lets you get home, you get to sit there for a while. Why? Because you can honk flash horns and push a cow all you want, but until it's ready to move, it does not move. That is the very definition of stubbornness. We humans can be like that. I want it this way and I'm not moving until I get my way. God give me. That's what we're saying. The difference is the cow has the size to back up our attitude. We do not. God, the infinite creator that knows us better than we know ourselves, looks down at us and thinks they'll learn. I know this because I know what he says later on. Not only can we be stubborn, but sorry for this one. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Let me modernize that because we like short words that are simple to understand. My people are stupid. They have lost sight of me and they have lost sight of the very best way to live. And they're making stupid decisions. They think worshiping a wooden idol is the best thing. Maybe we don't worship wooden idols anymore. Maybe we worship things like success or status. But as we look back over our life, we're embarrassed at the choices we've made and the relationships that have been broken because we have chosen to be unfaithful. We've lost focus of what matters. We've been unsatisfied. By the way, unsatisfied dissatisfaction with what God has given is not the same of working hard. Continue to work hard. Work as hard as we can for the glory of God in all that we do. But be content in what God has provided, knowing that he will never leave you nor forsake you. There is a difference. Working hard for his glory keeps pushing us forward toward himself. Working hard for our glory and our comfort keeps pushing us further away from him. But see, when these things happen, this is the great thing about failure for us in Christ. God will lovingly discipline us. Sometimes, sometimes God disciplines us by leaving us alone for a little bit, letting us deal with the consequences of our behavior. But Mike, why would he do that? Because God loves us enough to give us freedom, to give us the choice to come back. He also loves us enough to discipline us. God's love for us grants us loving but sometimes painful consequences that are meant to bring us back to himself. He allows us to live with the reality of our choices but he also provides hope to bring us back to himself. These Israelites are stubborn, like a stubborn cow, like you find in Sykung. How then can the Lord pasture them like lambs in a meadow? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. But if you go into the New Testament, we read these powerful words in Hebrews 12. The Lord disciplines those he loves. And just as we're ashamed when we've let down those we love and when we've failed and when we know God showed us a better way and we've dropped and we've lost sight of that, the flip side of that is it's considered to be an honor for God to love us so much that he would discipline us in a way that brings us back to himself. 
as a father loves his children and wouldn't dare not discipline them for bad behavior. God loves us. And in so doing, he disciplines us in ways that are meant to bring us back to himself. Many people want Christianity to be comfortable and easy. But it's not. The easy part is remembering who we are in Christ. The hard part is there are times when we choose ourselves over him. And we have to come back. But the praise of the glorious nature of God is what comes next. If you look back to verses 3 and 4... And by the way, go back and read Hebrews 12. I'm moving ahead quickly, but do not make light of the Lord's discipline because he disciplines the one he loves. And if he's disciplining you, he's chastening you because he's accepted you as his son or daughter. And what a revelation that is because God wants to bring his people home. In the, in the end of verse 4 and 5 of chapter 3, listen to what he says. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince. They will live in the reality of the choices they have made. For some of you, you're living in the reality of those choices right now. And you wonder, what do I do? How do I get out of this mess? And God says afterward, the Israelites will return. And they will seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days, to the days of the Lord. What does that look like for us when God sent his son, he brought back our king. He gave us a king to worship and adore. And that king said, come back to me. And as that king gave his life as a ransom for many, that king bore our shame. Those things we're ashamed of, that stubbornness, that immorality, that dissatisfaction, that lack of focus on God, that poor judgment in any number of circles. Jesus carried that all the way to the cross, hung it there, and bought our freedom with his own life. And then he rose again victoriously, and he declares once and for all, sin has lost its power. Death has lost its sting. Your sins are to be remembered no more. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us, wash us clean. We wear the cleanliness of God. We've been clothed with his righteousness because of what he did. You see, in God's love and discipline for us, he also made a way for us to live in eternal hope. The message of Hosea, specifically these two chapters, is so powerful because God's relentless love for people drew him so much so that this verse right here points to the person of Jesus Christ. And that we can live in the reality that we have been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. That God's relentless love for us says that sinful behavior in the past is not to be glorified. Those mistakes, those failures are not to be treasured. They are to be learned from. And they are to be handed over to God for Him to forgive because we don't have the power to. And they're to be let go of, 
knowing that he has carried our sin for us, that that shame does not define us anymore, that the honor we now have is in the glory of God who's washed us clean for those in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you. I know I have failed many times. And sadly, I will probably fail again before my life is over. But I know this to be true, that God's love is relentless and he invites me home. But he expects me, he has a high expectation on me as a royal priest, just as he does on you. Not because there's a pastor or reverend in front of my name, but because I am a child of God I am expected to show the world the truth of God's word. I'm to carry it with me as a guiding light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Our world desperately needs that light and we, the royal priesthood, are supposed to show who he is. So today, the message has kind of two parts, just as you see the two columns. You may find yourself wrestling with shame. And I invite you to lay it at the foot of the cross and say, God, take it. I can't carry this anymore. And you know what? He does so lovingly with that hesed, undeserved, gracious love, just and righteous love. He says, it's mine. I will remember it and you will be forgiven no more. Or I will remember it no more and you are forgiven. And then he says, you royal priesthood, carry my name with you wherever you go. Keep my word on your lips so that you might show others and instruct them in the way to live. What does it look like? Read Psalm 119, a great look at what it means to carry the word of God with us all the time. But for us, a royal priesthood, when we go into situations where people want to give up, maybe our words aren't enough, but the word of God they need to hear, that we will renew our strength on wings of eagles. Maybe they need to hear that Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest is just what they needed for that day. But we don't know that if we're not spending time in his word. They don't know they they can be forgiven if we're not giving his forgiveness away. Maybe you've got relationships in your life where people have done shameful things to you and don't deserve to be forgiven. Well, I invite you to remember that neither do you. So with the same amount of forgiveness you've been granted by the loving, glorious God, our Father who is in heaven and gave his one and only Son for us and undeserving people, would we give his hesed love away? Would we do so lovingly and freely and willingly? And would we spend time in the word showing people there's a better way to live? There's a better way to give hope away in these dark times. Let's pray. Lord, your love is relentless. You continue to pursue us when we try to forget you. Thank you. That's all I can say. Thank you for not giving up on us even as we've given up on so much. Please don't let us lose sight of you. Please don't let us lose sight of your welcoming arms that say sin is evil but my justice and mercy are all you need. May we live in the light of your truth every moment of every day. Amen.
for our closing song, May You All Rise. Let's sing.